history springs from at least three love affairs. First of all, my love for God and for Christ. I strive to minister out of a love for Him, and quite often I will talk to God about why I minister. I'll say, God, I just want it to be springing from a love affair with you and with Christ. A strong love for God's Word and desire to be faithful to God's Word, and also a love for you as a congregation. I faithfully pray for you by name, individually, and do love you and care for you and share scripture out of those love affairs. Last week, I mentioned that last Sunday morning, Sunday evening, this morning and tonight would be addressing no impact in future generations, and that's tied in with some things I would have discussed in January and February, and also some things that would have been addressed over the last year as we looked at various portions of Scripture. And as a shepherd, I am to preach the Word, I'm to correct, I'm to rebuke, and to encourage with great patience and careful instruction, coming from 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2. And I would also say that it's been my observation that parents especially fathers, believe and have been told for many years that they cannot teach and train and disciple their own children. And I'm with the conviction that fathers and mothers, grandfathers, grandmothers, along with older believers, will have the greatest impact upon the future generations that anyone can have. We have been told in a variety of ways that We'll let the professional do it. No, we'll let God's design work. And as I share again this morning, I share with a passion for children and for young people probably greater than I may have had 25 or 30 years ago. A deep passion for God's glory. And I share as an older man, whether you think I'm older or not, I think I've arrived there as an older man who has a desire for God's will and God's plan to be lived out day by day. John was driving down the road and he heard some clunking and his car just quit. Coasted to the side of the road and thought, hmm, this didn't sound good. So he called AAA and had AAA come and get his car and take it to the garage. The mechanic called him a couple days later and said, your engine's gone. John said, well, change the engine. So he got a new engine. And sometime later, as John was driving down the road again, he heard this clunking sound. And again, he coasted off the side of the road and called AAA and said, take my car to the garage, and again his mechanic called him and said, your engine's gone. The mechanic said, now remember, John, this is the second engine. I know, just replace the engine. And sometime later, again, he was driving down the road, and he heard this noise again, and he thought, ah, another engine. Called AAA, had his garage, or car taken to the garage, and again the mechanic called him and said, it's your engine. And again the mechanic said, "Uh, you know, this is the third engine. I know change the engine. Sometime later, he's going down the road again and heard this noise, and he thought, oh, an engine again. Called AAA, had his car taken to the garage, and the mechanic called him again and said, you know, this is the fourth engine. 
Just change it, John said. Then the mechanic said, uh, John, do you ever change your oil in the engine? No. Do you ever add oil? No. I change engines, I don't change oil. As you look at Christianity, Christianity for quite a few years has been changing methods to impact the future generation. We try one thing, we try another, and we try another. And my encouragement is, let's see what God says and live in light of his method to maintain the oil, if you please, in the engine. Probably many of you have heard of churches that have a youth pastor. How many of you have heard of churches that have a marriage pastor? Or have a man and husband or father pastor? Or have a pastor to parents? Because they want to impact future generations. Last Sunday we looked a little at Genesis 1 and 2. We won't turn there this morning. We found that Adam and Eve's responsibility was to reproduce, but not merely physical, but in all of life, you know, teaching their offspring how to work, <clears throat> how to think, deal with emotions, deal with spiritual issues, and so on. We mentioned and looked at Deuteronomy chapter 6, but let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 11 briefly this morning. And again, much of what I say this morning is based upon passages we have looked at in the past, but want to refer to a few passages briefly. Deuteronomy chapter 11. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 11. Let's begin reading with verse 16. Moses is reminding the children of Israel how to live and how to respond before they enter the promised land. In Deuteronomy 11 and verse 16. Be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and he will shut the heavens so that it will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce, and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols in your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give your forefathers, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. Notice verse 19, teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you're walking along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates and so on. Taking the Mosaic law for the Jews and teaching it to their children. And not a moment here and a moment there, but apparently as a pattern of life. when you walk along the road, when you're at home, when you lie down, and when you get up. Proverbs, a book dealing with wisdom and skill in living, has a fair amount to say about children and parents. And let's turn to Proverbs chapter 1. And again, I know we're leaping into some books and reading a little and then going on. But again, building on 
specific passages we have discussed in the past. But Proverbs chapter 1, Proverbs 1, verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. It will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adore your neck. Listen to dad. Don't forsake mother's teaching. Look at Proverbs 4 and verse 1. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. Proverbs chapter 6. In the context of warning against an immoral woman, the writer says, My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. Again, the teachings, the commands of father, and the teaching of mother, serving well throughout life. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son grief to his mother. And Proverbs 13 and verse 1. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not listen to rebuke. As you read through Proverbs, it comes through over and over again that mom and dad are interacting with their children, teaching, guiding, directing. Children are to listen, they're to heed, they're to understand, and it will serve them well. And I was reminded of that yesterday as I sat at the table with my mom and my siblings and some of their mates. As we shared and we interacted on some pretty deep issues, and I'll mention briefly a little more about that tonight, that mom could enjoy the fruit of her labor as her growing children shared and interacted and prayed together. We've been gone for many, many years, but dad and mom's teaching had an impact. We had to respond, but they had to teach as a pattern of life. In Malachi chapter 4, 5 and 6, we won't turn there, but as we have discussed in the past, that there's a prophet coming, and that prophet coming is tied in with Christ, where the hearts of children will be turned to the hearts of their father, and the hearts of fathers will be turned to the hearts of their children, so that fathers and children, parents and children, their hearts are turned towards each other. In Luke chapter 2, we find that Jesus was taught by his parents. He went home and he was submissive to them. In Ephesians 5, 22 through 6, 4, we find the marriage relationship is pictured to be Christ and the church. And then he talks about children obeying mom and dad and talks about fathers bringing their children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 6 through 12, we find there, as we have discussed in previous weeks, that mothers and fathers having a direct role in teaching and training their children. In Titus chapter 2, we find that the older saints are to teach the younger. Beloved, there's no retirement 
for those of you who are 60 or 65 or whatever time we retire nowadays. You don't retire in the kingdom of God. You impart others to those younger how to live well and walk with God. A biblical fact, God has one plan, desire, method for godly offspring or godly future generations, primarily parents who live in Christ 24-7 and model a Christ church marriage. My marriage with Ruth Ann comes before the children because what happens with my kids and how I relate to them is to be reflection of my relationship with my wife. You find as you read scripture, parents are so critical. And then secondarily, the body of Christ to equip, encourage, and spur on parents to obedience and their responsibility. And older saints teaching younger saints. In other words, the body of Christ providing what children, teens need in their day-by-day living. And God's plan provides for parents and children to be with one another. And it provides a model on how to live. And as we mentioned last week, that's one of the reasons the enemy has worked so hard on marriages. All forms of reproduction are to be focused primarily in the home. Men, women, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, employers, employees, citizens, leaders, teachers, givers, encouragers, mercy showers, worship, development of spiritual gifts and abilities, all tied in with the home. That's God's design. The home is central. Older saints coming alongside. Grandparents. You say, what do you do with single parent families? What do you do when a home is broken and so on? Address some of that last Sunday night and we'll say, time permits a little more about that this morning. But again, we're basing this on what we have taught from various portions of Scripture last week as well as previous weeks. I want to take a little time this morning to just discuss what I call some practical wisdom for impacting the next generation. Whether you're single or married, take care of the core first. Take care of the core first. Limit your running, limit your going to take care of the core. Your own walk with God. The way you think, time in God's Word, renewing the mind, prayer, renewing the mind to think about being in Christ. Take care of the core. Take care of yourself. Because if you're not walking with God, how can you impact your wife or your husband or your children or younger saints? or that other couple. 
take care of the core first. And then your marriage. God designed marriage to be lifelong. He did not design the parent-child relationship to be lifelong. Yes, you're still parents and children, but he wanted them to be pushed out, no, to go on their own. But having learned at home, take care of your marriage. Take care of your family, parents and children. Parents taking time for children, children taking time for parents before many other items. If a child has to choose between spending some time with peers versus mom and dad, they ought to choose mom and dad first. You know, if it comes down to that. If a parent has to choose between doing something with some other <clears throat> man or woman versus time with their wife and children, they probably should choose their children or wife or husband first. Take care of the core. Hospitality, opening your life, opening your home to others. That's core. We need other people. Plan other items, sports, overtime, running if time permits. If necessary, less sports or computer or technology. If there's no family devotions, prayer, corporate worship, and so on, just say no to some of these other items. Because the family worshiping together is core. The family praying together is core. The family worshiping together with other believers is core. My mother, listening to us converse yesterday, was a result of mom and dad for years taking care of the core. There were times we said, Dad, we want to do, and Dad said, no, you won't do because I want you here to worship as a family. I want you here to be with the family. seeking to take care of the core. If the core is neglected, there's not a lot of hope. Keep a slow, steady focus on the important. As I age and I see all the things that are becoming available to live well and to have godly families and so on, it comes back to some core items my renewing my mind with Scripture, my taking time to pray, my thinking well. Books are good. Methods may be good. But nothing will take the place of taking care of the core. In Matthew chapter 6, just listen as I read. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Do not worry about your clothes. See the lilies of the field, 
how they grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was not dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothed the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In the context of laying up treasure in heaven, in the context of day-by-day living and material things that we deal with, Jesus says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Renew the mind. Take time in Scripture. Fellowship with others. Worship together. Those are core items. You neglect them. It may not show for 10 years. It may not show for 20 years. But it will show. Galatians 6 talks about the fact that we reap what we sow. Sometimes the reaping is in weeks. Sometimes the reaping may be months or years later. If we're going to impact future generations, we individually got to take care of the core of our lives. light of Scripture, marriages and families seem to be God's primary small group. My relationship with Ruth Ann is a small group. Our kids were at home. That's a small group. You have extended family. You invite some singles and so on in. Small group. Practice body life. See, with my wife, I'm to encourage her. She's to encourage me. We're to forgive one another. We're to care for one another. We're to exhort one another. We're to rebuke one another. We're part of the body. We're a small group. Need to take care of that. The same thing with my family. No kids caring for one another. Practicing the one another's. Invite new believers. Someone comes to Christ. Invite them into your family so that when you get together and you're having a good time of laughing and carrying on and praying together and whatever else you might do as a family, that they see how a family is to function. Deuteronomy chapter 6, when you walk, when you sit, when you lie down, when you get up, what's he talking about? Day by day living, living out our core of life and letting others see that. How about just inviting single parent families? We live in a world where there's divorce and we have single-parent families. That's our world. Invite them into your home. Love them. Care for them. Share with them. Pray with them. Exhort them. Rebuke them. Let them rebuke you. Correct them and so on. Practicing the one another's in God's design for a small group. How about inviting orphans and widows and singles? A couple of weeks ago, I was visiting a widow Ask her how she, she was doing. She said, I'm lonely. 
And after a while, she said to me, oh, Pastor, you have to forgive me for just talking on and on. I don't get to talk very much to people. Come on over. I'll let you talk to the grandkids for the next five hours. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, just, we need that. How about an orphan? A child. You bring them into your family. <clears throat> or a single individual. Beware of neglecting God's small groups to be with other groups, maybe sports, it may be peers, it may be some ministry, to neglect God's design for something beyond his design spells trouble. The enemy for many years has been trying to get us to break apart with God's design in small groups, to be with others and neglect God's design. Stop and think about our world today, how often we're pulled apart by a number of items. I'm in the conviction as a nation we're reaping the consequences. And as the body of Christ, we're reaping the consequences. Deuteronomy chapter 6. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 13. Talk about being together, family, being together in day-by-day -day living. You have to determine how much you go or don't go. But families, extended families seem to be God's primary small group. Beware. When children and parents desire or are willing to be separated frequently, God is addressing Israel in Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 11, along with related passages in the New Testament. He talks to parents. But it's addressed in the context of being together. Malachi talks about the fact that the hearts of fathers will be turned towards children, the hearts of children towards their fathers. Apparently their hearts were going different directions. Nothing new under the sun is there that being true in the Old Testament. When children and parents want to be with peers for whatever reason, whether it be movies or whatever, rather than the family, be careful. Children and parents want to be or are being trained by others spiritually rather than the parents. You can take a child, you can take a teenager and give them all kinds of spiritual input. And if the parent is not doing it, it's very problematic. Because God's design is for mom and dad to be doing that. I'm not saying others is, it's wrong. 
It's not my point. But be careful if it's not happening by parents. Children, parents want to be in the computer or in sports or media rather than with the family. Beware. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes, and many of us are very familiar with the passage, he says, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. He says, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you, you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he talks about moms and he talks about dads and he talks about how they relate to children. He's talking about their being together, giving input. Children become very open to false teaching if parents are not training and instructing. When parents and children are continually wanting to be apart, I think it should cause us to realize that parents' hearts and children's hearts are not toward one another. When the hearts of children and parents are not toward each other, or when the hearts of children and parents are toward each other, they want to be together. So here we have a 16-year-old son. He's been invited to go out with the gang. And a 16-year-old son says, Dad and Mom, I was asked to go out tonight. I'm not even going to ask you if I can go because I want to be home with you. Dad says, Honey, kids, had the chance to go out tonight and just to be with some other guys, you know, to do some fun things together. And, you know, I, I had to think about that for a little, but I, I'm going to stay home. I just want to be with you. My heart's towards you. You say, Pastor, that's not the way our world is. It may sound foreign, but does it sound foreign that we have been pushing and being separated for so many decades to say that you want to be with your parents is abnormal? It probably is, but normal from God's perspective. When Malachi talks about the hearts of fathers being turned towards children, the hearts of children toward their parents, he's talking about they want one another, they care for one another, they want to be with one another, they're going to interact with one another. Guys, don't take this in the wrong way. Why would I want to spend time with you if I can spend it with my wife? And again, I'm not knocking guys getting together. Fine, men need time together. The older are to teach the younger. I understand that. But I hope you see where I'm coming from. There's so many pressures to pull us apart where parents and children are being pulled apart when God says, my design is to pull together. 
think I went the wrong way there, but that's okay. We'll wrap it up with a fourth statement. Parents must be teaching children to be maturing believers. Without teaching, they, parents, become Dead Sea believers. I'd like you to turn to Hebrews chapter 5. The book of Hebrews is written to those who, coming out of a Jewish background, would have understood the Mosaic law and so on. And Hebrews has a thrust that Christ is better than Moses. He's better than the prophets, better than Aaron, better than everything in the Old Testament sacrifice. Hebrews has a thrust of perseverance, enduring, and the endurance is present because you're following Christ. And apparently, some of the people that the writer is addressing are not grasping some things, particularly about Christ and being, his being a high priest. Hebrews 5 and verse 11, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you're slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives in milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Who by constant use. But he's saying, people, you're not where you should be. And the reason you're not where you should be is because you've not been exercising. You haven't been training yourself. You should be teaching, but you're not teaching because you haven't exercised. You haven't been using what you've been taught. James 1 and verse 22 says, But you doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Those of you who are grandparents and older saints, we should be practiced in teaching Scripture because we have been doing it with our children for years. So we can come along a younger saint and say, come on, I'll teach you Scripture. And they say, how do you know how to teach Scripture? Well, I've been practicing for years. I've been teaching my children. See, when I hear, when I take in, and I don't give out, I become like the Dead Sea. God designed us to take in, but to give out. So as I learn Scripture, I take care of the core, God wants me to give out. And for parents, he wants that to be given out to children. For grandparents to be given out to children and the grandchildren. For older saints to be given out to other younger, or those who are younger. You say, I'm not a teacher. We're not talking formal teaching. We're talking Deuteronomy 6, where you take Scripture and in day-by-day -day living, help them to live it. Parents. Or if parents don't teach, in many respects, we're playing games.
So as a teenager, I went to Youth for Christ on Saturday nights and heard some things taught. And I come home and I see mom and dad not living out those truths. Which should I believe? Well, mom and dad, I think I'll follow them. No, dad and mom had a responsibility to teach me. And their parents had a responsibility to teach them. So I'm an older guy, for sake of illustration, I'm an older guy now. I'm 61, going on 62. I have a responsibility to teach Ruth Ann, my kids, my grandkids. But other young men. <coughs> oh, you're getting old enough, you can step back and retire. No, I'm more qualified than ever to teach other young guys. Why? If I've been practicing for years. So Ruth Ann's an, excuse me, honey, an older lady. I married an older woman. <laughs> ah, I just stepped back and retire. I put my time in. No, she's more qualified than ever. Why? Because she's been practicing living with me. We've been practicing relating to one another. We have more wisdom than ever to share. Use it. Don't put it on the shelf. Don't sit back and do nothing. Don't retire. Don't quit. Please. I'm not always sure how to read people. But I hope you're getting the idea that God design is for the well-being of future generations. So let's project yourself down the road 60 years from now. I won't be around, Lord willing. <laughs> but Jacob Jr. or JT Jr., or Ashley Jr., you know, comes along, you know, grandchildren are having children. And Jacob says, as he gets married to whoever she's going to be, or JT marries whoever, or Ashley marries whoever, you know, I know how to teach kids. I feel I have some handle on teaching kids. And their mates say, or prospective mates say, how do you know that? My mom and dad taught me. And I observed my grandparents. So that's God's design. You say, what about broken homes? What about single parent families? The single parent do their job. But other older couples putting their arm around them and saying, come on, I welcome you into my life. So you take an Eric or you take a Joshua. Invite him into the home along with Kathy and say, we just love you, we care for you, we want to help you to live well. You take that orphan who really has not had parents and they may be adopted in a home as some of you have been adopted into a home and then other older saints come alongside them and say, I love you and I care for you, I just want to spend some time with you and help you to live well. 
Let's not change another engine. Let's put oil in the one we have. Let's change it regularly. We don't need another method to try to impact children and teenagers. Let's use the method that God has designed. Parents, grandparents, older saints, impacting for God's glory. I know that some of what I say may sound, maybe in some people's minds, far off. And where do you come up with this? From the Bible. Let's pray together. Father, your word seems to be very, very clear, but our world has been very messed up down through the ages. Help us as a body of believers here at Roaring Brook, along with the Wyoming Valley, to take your word at face value and to live in light of it. We've been bombarded for many, many years with a host of voices that would tell us to try other ways and other methods, but your word still remains solid. And as it relates to future generations, give us wisdom and picking up where we are and living beyond where we are. For your glory, Father. And if we need to make adjustments in our own lives or in the lives of our marriage or the lives of the family or in the ministry of our church, give us wisdom in doing that, Father, again, for your glory. Let us not bemoan what may have transpired in the past if it was not on track, but to focus on the present and living in sensitivity to you. Father, I love you. I love our body of believers. We just want to obey you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.